Good evening. Now, I hope that we uh, can sort of keep this a bit interactive. Um, I didn't come prepared to give any lectures, so I hope to provide you with just a little bit of context, um, provide an outline, and then hopefully we can get some questions and discussions so we can address those issues which you are most concerned about. I know that everybody knows exactly what VAT is all about. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I haven't heard that, Lindsay. That's good. <laughs> but um, I must say, let's start by just giving you a little bit of context and, and, and what is going on and, and what is driving this process. And then we'll uh, come to look at that itself and, and hopefully address some issues of concern. You've got to appreciate, of course, that this has not really been rolled out at the moment even by government, so there are a lot of unanswered questions. Um, I did have a discussion with some of the major persons involved in the Ministry of Finance uh, to try and get some clarity on some of these issues, knowing that I would be speaking about it tonight, and, and I managed to address some issues, but frankly, there, there remains a lot of open questions. And until the proposed legislation is released, uh, we simply will not have the answers. Now, I am told, uh, I don't know how reliable this is, it comes from government, so you can make up your own mind, <laughs> but I, I'm told that the draft legislation is scheduled to be released sometime towards the end of next week. Uh, so you could add a week or two to that perhaps, but certainly it should come out this month. Uh, and that's going to include the Principal Act uh, and very, very voluminous regulations. Um, tax legislation, as some of you may know from other jurisdictions, is by definition very complicated. So it isn't going to be very comprehensible to the average business person, much less the small business person. So I, one is expecting that in addition to releasing the proposed draft legislation, the government will also be releasing some material which will explain it in simple English. And then, of course, they will be taking it on the road, uh, I think, um, over the last quarter of this year and the first quarter of next year, holding meetings and trying to explain it and um, seeing whether or not <clears throat> they can provide information so people know what they're doing. But let's just, why, why are we going to a VAT? What is all of this about and, and why is it necessary? Well, very briefly, you probably have heard all the numbers. The fact of the matter is that uh, there really is a revenue deficit in the Bahamas, like in many countries. Um, our national debt uh, at the moment is about $5.5 billion. That's B with a billion with a B. Um, for a small country like the Bahamas, that is an enormous amount of money. Our, our fiscal deficits um, for the current financial year are running something like $443, $444 million. Uh, consequently, to put it simply, we are, as a government and as a country, spending a lot more money than we are taking in. 
and frankly, the concept is not difficult. The details are difficult, but the concept is not difficult because every one of you run a household and you understand the simple economic facts. Right? There's only so long that you can continue to spend more than you take in. Eventually, those deficits will catch up with you. All right, you can fund deficits from savings for a period of time. All right, but eventually that will deplete your savings. All right, and then you will have unfunded deficits. And unless you can print money in your bedroom, uh, you are going to have to pay it back somehow. Right now, um, the debt service in this country uh, is enormous. If you look at every dollar, um, just what it costs to pay interest on the national debt. Right, is, is, a de, is a debilitating number for the Bahamas. So the net result is we are in a financial crisis like many other countries. And the problem is the government does not have enough revenue. Now, as a, as a country, just like as a household, you can do one of two things. All right? And you know the answer. It's not complicated. You can either increase your revenue, right? or you can cut your expenses. Those are the only two solutions at the end of the day, and a country is no different. When a country is spending more money than it's taking in, all right, and it's running deficits, and it's got these accumulated debt to the point where we have almost five and a half billion dollars of debt, uh, there are only two solutions for the Bahamas, medium to long term. Now, unfortunately, governments, and our government is no exception, and when I talk about governments, I'm not talking about the PLP or the FNM. I'm just talking about the institution of government. Almost by definition, they, it, they find it extremely difficult to cut expenses. Um, government seems to have an insatiable appetite for expansion and growth. It has been a point of mind for many years that government is far too big in the Bahamas. Um, but of course, of course it, it has continued to grow. And when we had the global meltdown in 2008 and 2009, when there was a credit crunch and the entire world went into a recession, that complicated uh, life for us as it did for many other countries. Because in order to sustain the economy and in order to avoid even higher levels of unemployment, government had to spend uh, a lot of money on infrastructure I say had to spend, one could debate that, all right, because there were choices, but many governments uh, decided that the only way to float its way through this global recession was to invest heavily in public spending in order to provide heightened levels of employment and in order to inject money into the economy. And that is a period of time when we increased our deficits by a very substantial sum of money. So the problem is, how do we get out of it now? That's so, so one issue is the current tax structure that we have in the Bahamas is not producing enough revenue in order to cover the costs of government. Point one. Point two. As you know, the world is an increasingly interconnected place today, and concepts of sovereignty, <clears throat> as we used to know that term 10 or 15 years ago, simply do not exist. So it's all well and good to say we're an independent, sovereign country, but very few major decisions which affect our national economy are now matters simply for the Bahamian people. We are uh, members of many organizations in the world, and these organizations 
impose conditions upon its members. The one that's most relevant for our discussion tonight is the WTO. And I'm sure you've heard about this, the World Trade Organization. The Bahamas is going through a, a period now um, of, of preparing its membership and expects to become a member of the WTO within the next three to four years. It's not our subject tonight as to whether that's a good idea or not, right? So we simply accepted that it is a fact. Whether, it's, it's, whether you think it's a good idea or not, that's where we're going. And that was the policy of both governments, of the previous FNM government and of the current government. Now, WTO is an organization that is committed to free trade. And consequently, it has, right, a natural <coughs> abhorrence for protective import tariffs, uh, which is what we call customs duties. And customs duties today, in a global context, is, con is considered to be regressive and unacceptable because they are perceived as impeding free trade. This concept of free trade now, which seems to permeate many of the international organizations, including the UN, uh, including the IMF, including the WTO, and including many of the CARICOM countries that, 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 that we are partnering with, <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it's a concept that, that basically wants a world free of barriers to free trade and the movement of goods and capital and services between countries. And so when it comes to a country like the Bahamas, where our primary source of revenue is import duties, there is an immediate problem with that model because the WTO does not accept import duties as an acceptable means of raising revenue in a world today which it is committed to liberalizing in terms of free trade. So there is pressure coming from the WTO, not to overnight, but to roll back our customs duty system, our tariff systems, um, in a way which encourages free trade. So there is this external pressure which is being brought on the Bahamas by the WTO and other international organizations to basically reinvent our financial model where we will not be as dependent as we are on duties. And they would wish to see this system of duties incrementally <coughs> uh, removed over a period of years. That's the second factor. The third factor is what's called EPAs. These are economic partnership agreements. This is not quite so well known in the public, but it is a real problem that we face. And again, this is in the context of this interconnected world that we live in. These economic partnership agreements are literally what, they, what, the, what the title suggests. These are agreements that are negotiated either between country and country or regions. All right, the last one we did, which had a had and will have an enormous impact on the Bahamas, even though very few Bahamians really know much about it, is the EPA between uh, what was called CARIFORUM, right? And that was basically the CARICOM countries plus Haiti and the Dominican Republic and the European Union. Any of you heard about that? Some of you may have heard about that. The EPA for, with, with the European Union. Again, these agreements uh, impose obligations upon the countries. Uh, we being a small country, even when we group ourselves with the CARIFORUM countries, we are still, as a region, very small. And so it is difficult for us sometimes 
to negotiate or get the upper hand in these negotiations. And there are many provisions uh, in these EPAs um, which also call for the rolling back of import duties and for increased regional integration, all right, and, and for higher levels of, of free trade. Now, these are the factors. The reason why I think any, any informed, sensible discussion on VAT needs to start with, with what I have started with is because we have to accept certain realities. Uh, there's no sense having this debate uh, in some sort of Disney world, you know, where we wish things were different, but they are not. We have to accept the economic realities where we are, right? And then that launches us into this whole issue of tax reform and then looking at the options, and then that's how we settle upon VAT as the centerpiece of the government's tax reform, which it has said it is committed to now over the next 10 to 15 years. So my basic premise, just based on those introductory remarks, is that there is a real problem that as a country we have to face up to. We will need to find either ways of increasing revenue or ways of substantially reducing the size and costs of government. If we are going to survive right, as a, as a viable economic country, bear this in mind, unemployment in the Bahamas today is 14.7%. All right, And everybody knows that that figure is low, although it is disturbingly high, 14.7%. You've probably read some of this in the newspapers over the last week or two. All of the international agencies are saying, including the most recent world report by the IMF, that if the Bahamas is going to make any appreciable inroads into reducing its current levels of unemployment, it's going to have to have a sustained rate of growth in its GDP of between 5 and 6% for the next five to 10 years, five to seven years actually. All right, now to some of you, these figures may not mean anything, but I just want to give you a point of comparison. So, so here what's being said, every year, and I'm using general numbers, so don't hold me to the specific numbers, right? Every year, this country produces about 5,000 new entrants into the labor force, because that's the size of the graduating class in the Bahamas every year. So before we find a job for one unemployed person, every year we have to find 5,000 new jobs. Now that's a slight exaggeration because of the 5,000 people coming out of our school system, some go on to higher education, all right? Some go directly into the College of the Bahamas. So not all 5,000 would, 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 would go into the labor force immediately, but it is a very high percentage, right? Certainly 80 plus, 85% of that 5,000 goes into the labor force. So before we find a single job for any of the currently unemployed, we've got to find, I mean, let's be generous, you know, 4,000 plus jobs every year, right? Now, you cannot grow your economy to produce that number of jobs at our current level of GDP that we are experiencing. Remember what they said. They said not to absorb the new entrants into the market, but to reduce the 14.7% unemployment we currently have, 
we need to have growth of 5 to 6%. You know what our growth has been over the last three years? About 0.7%. Our projected growth over the next three years, until recently, was about 2.5%. That projection was recently downgraded to 1.9%. So right now, we are, uh, are forecasting, and the international agencies are forecasting, growth in GDP for the Bahamas of less than 2% over the next three years. And I can tell you, it just doesn't work. Right? With that type of stagnant growth, <clears throat> we are going to be consumed by unemployment. And you know what unemployment produces? It produces more crime. It produces social dislocation. Right? Which, what? Which produces greater calls upon your social net. Which means more government. Which means government costs go up. And we become an entitlement society. Right? Where people are looking to the government to provide them with some sort of social assistance, right? Until they can find a job. It is not a very optimistic picture. Now, confronted with that scenario, Government, and again, I'm not talking about PLP or FNM. Government, even bearing in mind how slow it seems for them to learn, government has finally realized that it no longer has the luxury of doing nothing. Because we are on a dangerous spiral. Those numbers that I just gave you are real numbers. And I can tell you they don't add up. All right? The Bahamas, as a social a community could not survive 20% unemployment. I can tell you, crime would be so rampant and our social services would be so decimated that this would be a different country. This 14.7% unemployment has to be reduced. And the only way it can be reduced is if you can get new jobs. And the only way you can get new jobs is if you grow your economy. And you grow your economy by increasing your GDP and anemic rates of growth of 1.9, 1.5, even 2% will not solve our problems. So the government says, we're going to do a little bit of both. They've said we're going to cut costs of government by 10%. All right, and whether that's a reality or not is a different story. That is a target. But as I said, government seems to have such great difficulty in cutting expenses. It, it just seems to be anathema, right, to governments to actually reduce their spending and reduce the size of government. But, 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 but they say they're going to cut the cost by 10%, and then they say, we need to increase, we need to collect more revenue, right? And realizing that our current major source of revenue, which is customs, is under attack, as I indicated earlier, by these international organizations, and that that is not a sustainable model, the bottom line is we need to reform our tax system to come up with a new tax system which is going to provide higher levels of revenue. And that is really at the point where you sit down and you look at your options. Now, you've got income tax, you've got corporate tax, you've got capital gains tax, you've got consumption taxes like that, and sales tax, right? And uh, no doubt there are others that could have been considered. Eventually, after the study was done, the government seemed to settle 
primarily on two options, right? Both consumption taxes, on a sales tax and on a VAT. And for quite some time, there was a study as to which was the best to pursue. Now, both of these taxes, uh, of course, would be very unique for the Bahamas because we simply don't have a culture or a history of taxes. Um, and, and while we have had indirect methods of taxation, there has been no direct method of taxation up to this point in time. It's important at least to have a, a, a fundamental understanding of the two differences. The Bahamas economy is basically a services economy. Now, that being the case, you will appreciate that our current tax system, which relies very heavily on import duties, does not tax services. All right? It only taxes goods <coughs> under our import duties. So, so the, the, the basic driver in the economy has to this date remained untaxed. I must say, even as a person who makes his life in the, serv in the services industry, there is a certain illogic about that position. Um, we have been leaving uh, hundreds of millions of dollars on the table right, by basically not touching services, which is the vast majority of our economy. These other forms of taxes will, of course, tax services and goods. So immediately, even before you start to run the numbers, right, when you start introducing any tax system which is going to tax services, you are now talking about substantially higher levels of income, of revenue. Because up to this point, services was not taxed at all. You could put a tax on services of 15%, and that'll give you more, and I'm, I'm not stating this as a fact, I'm just trying to give you some sort of intuitive sense of, of the point I'm trying to make. So don't take the statistics as, as absolutely gospel. It's a good word in this place. <laughs> right? But, but you, could, you could, for instance impose a 10%, 15% tax on services and raise more money than you would if you increased import duties by 30%. You get my point? Why? Because the greater part of the economy right, is service-based. And that is now an untaxed area altogether. All right, so it's not, it's not surprising to me Right? That, that once we got to this position where we had to look at hard options, that the government was going to end up with some sort of tax which is going to tax services and goods. All right? And that's one of the reasons why they, they focused fairly quickly on these two forms of, of consumption taxes, sales tax and a VAT. Now, what's the difference between the two? All right, we don't want to spend too much time on it because we're not doing a sales tax, but because it's part of the debate, let's just briefly touch that. Right? A sale, and, and of course, you're used to paying these when you go to the States and to other countries. Right? A sales tax right, is, is probably the most simplest form of tax because it simply imposes one tax right, at the end of the distribution chain. So it's very simple. If you have a sales tax of 15%, it gets charged once, all right, and that gets charged to the end consumer. Now, it has its difficulties with regard to collection because a sales tax is much more difficult to collect than a VAT. We'll come to that in a moment. 
But the concept is simple. If you, if you have a, a product on your shelf that's selling for $10 and you have a 15% sales tax, the end consumer, you and me, right? How much did I say it was cost? $10. It's going to cost you, it's going to cost you, let's say, make it easy for me, 10%. It's going to cost you $11. All right? And that $11 is paid, you know, that extra tax comes right at the end of the distribution chain, nice and simple, all right, and it's collected by the government. Now, contrast that with a VAT, right? What is the major distinction? VAT is also a consumption tax. So in that regard, it's similar to a sales tax. But it's different in this sense. VAT is not charged one time at the, to the end user. VAT is charged every station in that distribution chain, uh, chain right, where goods or services are paid for, every time. And then at the end of the day, the, 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 the retailer, right, that is one stop before the end consumer, right, each time I pay VAT in order to run my business, what, what you probably heard this word inputs, right, that's called an input, under a VAT system, all my inputs are going to be subject to VAT. My electricity, my water, my stationery, my, my, my legal advice, my accounting advice, the goods that I pay, that I have in my shop, all of those are subject to VAT. Sorry? Rent would be subject to VAT as well. All of my inputs, which is basically everything that you pay, right, to service your business to the end consumer. <clears throat> the big difference is, each station in that distribution change, chain, VAT is paid. And when you get to the end of it or to the next stage, right, when you pay VATs on your input, you can refund yourself all of the VAT on your input that you have paid up to that point and only pay over to the government the balance. Let me give you an example because that probably sounds confusing, all right? But just get the distinction. Sales tax, nice and simple, comes at the end of the chain. It's a one-time tax. It's collected by the government, all right? And it's, it's, it's a fairly simple tax. VAT, more complicated, but does have some advantages. VAT is paid every time there is a transaction in that distribution chain, all right? And every time you pay VAT as a business person, when it comes time for you to, to sell on to the next station in that chain, you can collect all or reimburse yourself all the VAT that you have paid for your inputs up to that point. And you pay yourself back and you pay over the balance to the government. Now, a couple of things quickly before we give you an example. First of all, you can see the collection agency is different. A sales tax is collected by the government. A VAT is collected at the cash register, right? Each station is collected, right? And then it's paid over to the government. That's not to say there aren't serious enforcement issues, right? And the prospect for cheating, right? There is all of that, all right? Although I must say those risks are far greater in a sales tax than a VAT for reasons that I'll try to explain in a moment, right? Secondly, they found historically that when sales taxes get over 10%, Basically, it encourages a great deal of tax evasion. 
All right, because the consumer rebels against that, and there are all sorts of ways of trying to avoid it. VATs can go up to 15, 18%. As you know, many countries have 18% VAT, right? Even 19%. All right, and because of the recouping of your inputs and the reimbursement of these VATs, it is less susceptible to tax evasion, and the market is more, uh, is more receptive to higher levels of VAT. But let me give you an example, okay? Let's assume you're a simple retailer and you're bringing in, I don't know, you're selling blouses or widgets or whatever you want to sell, cars. Um, your, first, your first transaction in this distribution chain, right, is when the goods that you have ordered arrives in the Bahamas. You with me? Okay, when they arrive at the border. Now, at that point, <coughs> that is charged. Forget customers for a moment. We're gonna, we'll talk about that briefly. All right? So in order to get your goods cleared, really in the first station on this distribution chain, in terms of the Bahamas, I now, uh, let's say my, my landed costs, right, for that product is $20. All right? I now have to pay VAT of 50, it will be 15%, right? Sorry? We'll have to pay $3 VAT. So I'll have to pay $23 at that stage. Now, and, and I have to pay that. That's real money. That's cash flow. Okay? Those goods are then released to me. They come into my, uh, let's assume that I'm a wholesaler. All right? I'm a wholesaler. So they come into my factory or my warehouse. Okay, I paid $23 for them now. I am now the second station in this distribution chain because what am I going to do? I'm going to now sell to the retailer, right? I'm a wholesaler, remember. So now when I sell to the retailer, this is what I can do. I can say, I paid $3 VAT. I paid, you know, 60 cents VAT on my electricity. I paid 40 cents VAT on my, uh, you know, all the things that go into running a business, and my, whatever it is. So up to this point in time, I paid, let's say, uh, $4.50 VAT. Okay? Now, when the wholesaler, keep that figure in mind. We should have, I should have asked for a little chart here. But anyway, we can do it, I think, this way. Keep that figure in mind. So, so far, the goods are in my warehouse, right? And if I, and remember, I can't, I'm not restricted to just recovering my $3 that I paid customs, right? I can recover my VAT on all my inputs, all of them, right, up to that point. So that's why I've increased it, say, and I'm just making up a figure, another $1.50, so let's say I've got $4.50 that I have paid out in VAT, real money that I could show in my accounts, because remember, every time I buy a service now, I have to pay VAT. I go to Perry, I buy a Xerox machine, he's going to charge me, in addition to his horrendous profit, he can charge me VAT. All right? I go to the, to the, uh, buy, you know, uh, toilet paper and buy, uh, soap and everything for my bathroom, I have to pay VAT. You, you with me? All this VAT has to be tracked as a registrant. Right? And I'm just saying now it equals another $1.50. So up to this point, I paid $4.50, say, in my example. Okay. 
I'm now ready to sell on to the retailer. All right, now, you know that I'm going to put a, a profit margin on this price for me because I got to make a living as a wholesaler. All right? So I paid $23 to get it into my shop. All right, and let's say I, I, I mark it up by 20%. I don't know what you mark it up. Some of you may mark it up 120%. Right? <laughs> But let's say, you, let's say you mark it up, uh, 20% is probably low. Let's say you mark it up 40%. All right, so what's 40% of $23? Somebody tell me that. Any mathematicians here? That's 230 times 4, 8, 9 something? 920, 910, something, okay. So now that 23 good, let me, let me just make, call it $10, all right? Because I can add $10, right? That, that $23 good now, I'm selling to the retailer for $33. You with me? Now he has to pay VAT on $33. So he has to pay 15% on $33. All right? Well, that's $330 plus $1.50, That's about five something, isn't it? Five twenty or something? Okay? So, so now, right, I sell it to the retailer. I charge the retailer 15% now on $33. All right? And he pays me VAT. The government don't have to collect this. The collect, I got to collect it. That's one of the problems of the business community. I gotta collect it and I gotta track it with, with some sort of software system that's gonna allow me to keep accounts. All right, so now I've collected, I've collected 15% on $33, which we said was five something. Let's say 550, you know what I'm saying? Now I don't pay that 550 to the government. I deduct my $4.30. Remember what I told you, remember that figure? Because that's, I think it was 450. I said, I paid on my inputs 450, so I deduct that 450 from that five dollars, right? And I pay over to the government the balance, right? And that's how it works. Now the retailer, the retailer now has these goods, right? And he paid 33 dollars. Well, you know he's going to have to put a little profit margin on that, so he marks it up another 30 percent. See? All right, and let's just say without doing the math, that takes the $33 to $45. Well, don't worry about the VAT yet, right? Because he's going to be, remember, he's going to reimburse himself that when he sells it to you, the consumer, because you've got to pay 15% on his marked up costs. All right, so if, so he's got the goods now in his, his retail shop for 33 plus his VAT. All right, he adds 30% profit. I don't know, call it now $45, all right? You now walk into his shop as the end consumer, right? And you're now going to pay $45 plus 15%, all right? Now, that would be $450 plus $225, which is $675, say about $7, right? Okay, so now I take that and I don't pay that to the government. The retailer now can get back his $550 that he paid the wholesaler. You see what I'm saying? And he then only pays to the government the balance. Right? And, and consequently, what it really means is this. This tax, which is why they call it a consumption tax, this tax, while it's paid, in my little example there, it's about as simple an example as you can get, that was paid three times. The manufacturer, the retailer, sorry, four times. No, three times. The manufacturer, the, the re, sorry, the wholesaler, right? the retailer, and the end consumer. 
That's why I'm saying there's only one. So this is exactly this is now you understand. This is exactly the point. While three vat has been paid three times, really, it's only really been paid once, and the one who pays it is the end consumer, you and me. That's why it's called a consumption tax, because the earlier vats have been recouped. You know what I'm saying? So it it doesn't. I mean, this is good and bad in a way. It may sound to you. Complicated. It is much more complicated than the sales tax system. All right, there's no question about that. But in terms of what it, sorry? Well, that, that is why the government has been saying, you know, there's been a lot of concern, very legitimate concern, about the ability of our government to collect taxes. Right? And this historically is a very justified concern. With all due deference to my friend, Mr. Cates, um, who did a wonderful job when he was in the real property tax department. Did you see the headlines just a day or two ago in the Tribune, or was it today? And you see how much money is outstanding on real property tax? 200 plus million dollars, according to the FS. Huh? 545 million. Okay. Now, now you see, does this really make any sense? And of course, this is where we, the average citizen, I, I think, have a level of frustration with wh whoever the government is, because the obvious answer to the simple you and me, remember now why this whole train has left the station. Remember that? This whole train left the station because why? We need more revenue. Remember that? That's why we're doing this. Yet we got a half a billion dollars we're not collecting. The Guardian has written this morning that some 7,000 bill of collect that they have not collected any I mean, the numbers are astounding. The numbers are astounding. And given the, the imperative to increase our revenue, one, one could easily come to the reasonable conclusion that yes, maybe we do need to reform our tax system because that's being driven by external forces. But really, at some point, some government has got to commit whatever resources are, are necessary to collect some of this revenue that's still on the table. I mean, you're talking about just between what Lindsay and Jerry and, and um, Mr. Gates said here, you must be talking about Seven, eight hundred million dollars. Huh? Am I wrong? More than that. I would, I would say one third of the customs revenue that should be collected is not collected. Now, now, there's, there's a real problem. All right? And of course, an alternative, one might say, would be to do two things before we commit it to a new tax system. One would be cut the size and costs of government and to collect existing revenues. That would, that would put us in a, in, a, in a far better position than we are now. Yes, it may still be necessary to phase out customs duties and tariffs because of the international community. Right? But the fact of the matter is, uh, we are leaving an enormous amount of money on the table. And the concern then develops, if we haven't been able to collect a simple tax like real property tax, all right, how are we going to be able to collect uh, you know, something like that. Now, to be fair to the government, 
the financial secretary did make, he, he addressed this point a few, a few days ago, and he did make the point that <clears throat> the VAT, and this is one of the attractions of a VAT to governments, the VAT system has built within it its own collection system because of the reimbursements that registrants get. This is an important point. Right? And, and it is a valid point. It's not a complete answer, but it is a valid point. Bearing in mind the example that I just gave you, right, and, and the, the importance to every businessman, right, which is, or who is a registrant. And remember at the moment, they're talking about the threshold of $100,000. Right? They started with 50, they're now looking at 100. So if your business is generating more than $100,000, you would be required to register. Sorry? Gross. All right, now, now, if you are a registrant uh, and you are paying that, you are going to be very vigilant, I can assure you, about getting your reimbursements. And therein lies a, an internal mechanism which does help collect, because as I said, the government doesn't collect that. That's collected by each person in that distribution chain. All right, now the government has to collect it and verify it, but the, but the physical going around and getting the money is actually done by the business community, as opposed to a sales tax, which would have to be collected by the government. So that is why you may have read, well, you, you may have seen uh, a few weeks ago where the financial secretary said that they are expecting collection rates of between 75 and 85%. And he's a brave man to say that because those are very high numbers. But he based that on, on collection numbers throughout the Caribbean and certain other countries. And he said the reason for that is not because we're going to be so efficient. It's because the VAT system has built into it its internal collection systems and mechanics, which is going to make business people very efficient, right? Because they're going to want to get their reimbursement of their own VATs. Anyway, that is a big issue. The numbers that have been given to us, uh, you've seen them are as follows. Right now, they are projecting that VAT will produce $500 million of revenues. The rollback in customs duties, which I'll talk to you about in just a moment, is expected to be, that's going to cost the government about $300 million. Right? These are import duties which are going to be reduced. Therefore, VAT's going to produce on their numbers, a net increase in revenue of $200 million. The 500 minus the 300. You with me? All right, and, and, and if, you, if you take a 70% collection rate of 200 million, all right, that's 10% that's, um, is, that's 140 million. All right, so, so they're, 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 they're projecting they're going to get somewhere around 140, 150, 160 million with collection rates and enforcement rates of between 75 and 85 percent. All right, that's their numbers. Now, what's going to happen with customs duties? Let's address that quickly. Bear in mind, anytime you have a question, just stick up your hand. All right, don't wait for me to stop. Go ahead, Lindsay. Yeah, j just on the EPA alone, it's already in effect, the EPA reduction in duty from European Union countries they already have been reduced by 10%. So that is in effect right now. So any good, so long as you have your certification from the European Union countries, 
then you pay a lower rate of duty on those goods coming exactly. into the country right now. So that's already in effect right now. And that's, that's remember I told you there were three, three issues driving this whole, whole subject. You know, one is we need, we need uh, enormous deficits, we need more revenue. The other is WTO and the other is EPAs. That's an exact, very good example of where the EPA has already begun to kick in to reduce our, our, our customs duties. And I must say, remember what I said, there's no sense discussing this in Disney World. Our reality is, whether we like it or not, our, and, and this has nothing to do with liking the VAT tax or not liking it. The simple fact is, the current economic model for the Bahamas with regard to its tax system is not sustainable. Now, if you don't accept that, I'm not interested in talking to you. I don't want to be rude, but that's going to be a, you know, a funky discussion. All right. We could wish it otherwise, you know, and say, listen, if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it. We're quite happy where we are. Our little customs duties are working good. That's not an option because let me, let me, let me, let me give you a news bulletin. The Bahamas is not sovereign. All right. I'll say it again. The Bahamas is not sovereign. We do not control our own fate. That is a myth. All right? In the world that we live in today, right, even large countries have to subjugate their national interests to the interests of wider regional and trading groups. A country the size of the Bahamas, even if you put us in with CARICOM countries, right, is just relatively insignificant. Right? And the fact of the matter is, we cannot do what we want to do. Because while geographically we may be an island, economically and geopolitically we are not an island to ourselves. We live in a connected world. And the international community is imposing its will right, around the world right, on regions on these issues. And this, this model of, of customs duties is simply not sustainable. We might have been able to get another five or ten years out of it. I don't know. But long term, if you are in government and you are trying to plan the future of the Bahamas, right, it would be an act of, of, of unprecedented irresponsibility to suggest that we can build our economy going into the next 10, 20 years right, on customs duties because it will not happen. Right? So that's a reality. Now, what we replace it with is a legitimate debate. The size of government is a legitimate debate. Our ability to collect uncollected revenue is a legitimate debate. But we do have to reform our tax system in some way. Now, import duties, there's been some misinformation in the market about this. The latest information that came out on this question actually emerged from an exchange in the press between Sir William Allen and Bradley Roberts. Um, for those of you who may have seen it, it actually turned out to be a helpful exchange because it did produce some news which the market didn't know before. All right, the, the most significant news that came out of that exchange is that Bradley Roberts, in his capacity as the chairman of the PLP, so obviously speaking on behalf of the party, indicated that import duties uh, would be cut across the board by 17% upon the introduction of that. Now, it turned out that that is a slightly nuanced statement. And the correct position is the following, right, which I got from the Ministry of Finance itself only two days ago. 
the correct position is not every import duty will be cut by at least 17%. The average of the, of the reduction in import duties will be 17%. Not, you see the difference? It's a different thing to say, oh, VAT is 15%. We're giving you a margin of 2% to pick up some of your costs. So you're going to be paying an extra 15, so I'm going to take away 17%, and at the end of the day, it's a wash. All right, that, that's the, the simple concept. Lindsay? Yeah, let me just, um, just so that people can understand now, there are various rates of duty uh, in the Customs Management Act. There are numerous items in the customs tariff now which don't pay any duty at all. All your medicines, your computers, and your things like that. There's no, so they can't reduce them. They don't, pay any, zero. they don't pay anything now. Lots of them only pay 10%. So they can't, they're not going to reduce those items. Now, the, the general rate of duty of 45% can be reduced by 20%, which then would, could, could, could um, cause the average rate of duty maybe to be 17%, because some of those well, items that's are not... not that, but, but they're not saying that either. Remember what they're saying now, right? They're saying that the reduction yeah. in import duties will be an average of 17%. It doesn't say that the rates are going to be an average 17%, because as you know, uh, there are some... Take, for instance, the manufacturers that, that we have in the Bahamas. And again, this was the headlines not so long ago. The manufacturers are all up in arms. And these are, these are light industry, people that produce things in the Bahamas. All right? Actually produce goods, manufacturing goods. All right? They came out with a report that said, in order for them to survive against competition from imported goods, they need protective barriers of between 30 and 200%. Did you see that reported? See, now, this, these are the complications. And I must say, this, this is a problem. Uh, they're basically saying, because of the cost of electricity in the Bahamas, because of the cost of labor in the Bahamas, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a small manufacturer compared to these enormous manufacturers, I don't have the economies of scale because of their purchasing ability. You know all the factors that, that, that help you save costs. We cannot compete with foreign goods, right, on a level playing field. So they are actually saying to the government, rather than rolling back my customs duties, the customs duties on the products that I make, I need you to increase those duties. If you are going to end up with a regime which allows the local manufacturers to survive. Otherwise, they say, if you take, for instance, chicken, eggs, um, what else do you produce here? You know, I think Andrew Rogers produces some things and, and, and um, if, yeah, all those sorts of things. I mean, their, their, their point is, if you're going to reduce the import duties, on those goods, you're going to put me out of business because I don't have the ability to compete with the big boys. So, so this is a problem which the government is going to have to address. Right? Long term, you see, this is exactly against the philosophy of the WTO. You know what the WTO says? 
The whole basis, well, the whole basis is a complicated subject, but the fundamental tenet of, of free trade is that countries will decide what they do best and get out of everything else. And then you'll have a world where every country is simply doing what it does best and you have this uninhibited trade and movement. So if you can't survive with chickens and eggs in the Bahamas, the WTO says don't erect artificial barriers to protect your local industry. Right? That's not a solution which they accept is a, is a, is, is a reasonable one. You've got to go out of business and you better get into some business that your country does well. All right, and that's the that's the the fundamental concept behind free trade. Everybody does what they do best and get out of everything else. And then when everybody does best, we're all trading in the marketplace. All right, and that produces maximum efficiency. Well, theoretically, that's an interesting idea, but realistically, is that doable in a small country like the Bahamas? I don't know. So, so. So, so, you know, what's the interplay between customs duties and VAT? All right. There will, you will continue to have both in the short term. Some people thought all customs duties were going to go, or nothing was going to be reduced. There's an effort to offset the two by this average rate of reduction of 17%. All right. But, uh, and incrementally, I, I, I foreshadow that we will, we will see customs duties being eliminated over a period of 10 to 15 years. But for a while, we will live with both. Now, one other issue that I want to address, because it's come up often, people have said, what's going to happen to business license? Right? Am I going to have to pay that? And some people have said, that's, that's going to go up. Well, the answer is, Business license is not going to be eliminated, but it will not be increased, right? That's, that's the official position on day one. So, yes. Um, you say business license will not go up, um, but it will not be eliminated. Now, with VAT, when they calculate business license, because they now have to charge VAT, this is a service provider, because right. they now have to charge VAT, because business license now calculated on revenue, not on profit, the actual amount that I have to pay for my business license will actually increase if I have to include my VAT charges in my revenue. Well, it may, it may decrease, Paul. It may decrease. Because once you, once you net off your VAT on your inputs, right, against the VAT that I have to pay. But is that how they will calculate the business yes. license? It is. I see. You're only going to include, or I, I say you're only... Let me, let me qualify that. Nothing is, nothing is definite, sorry? Oh, no, no, that's different. I'm talking about registrants. So that's a good point. If you don't meet the threshold, right, then, then what's, but, but that may help you with your business license, right? Because your costs is going to increase. Your profits won't increase. I know you pay business license on revenue, right? But, but, I, well, I think there isn't the word turnover which I think was the word that they use, right? But, but what's going to happen to the non-registrant? Remember, the non-registrant is going to be paying VAT at every station of the distribution chain. And he isn't getting anything back. 
That actually have led, has led some economists, I'll come to you in one minute, to say that even if you don't have to register, many businesses under 100,000 will choose to register. Right? That, that some economists believe that. Right? Because if you do not register, you are getting hit with the VAT that is obviously being charged within in the, the economy, but you don't get any, any refunds. Unless, yeah, but, but, but remember, even your manufacturer, you have to buy your goods. So you're going to have to pay VAT at the border. I mean, if I'm making widgets, I've got to buy the wood. I don't manufacture the wood. If I'm below the threshold, the only advantage, what is the, what is, what am I, where is my VAT exemption if I'm below the threshold? You know, well, your VAT exemption is that you don't have to pay VAT to the government. But you have to pay VAT as a consumer as, right. you, as you purchase along that distribution chain. Right? But, but, but your question raises the point which we're talking about. Some, some below the threshold may choose to register. Because when you do the economics, right, they may think that if I can get back my inputs, the VAT on my inputs, then I'm going to be ahead of the game. Right? So, so, but, but if you are a non-registrant, just remember, you are then a consumer, and as a consumer, you're going to pay VAT on all goods and services, right? And you're not going to get anything back. You and I, as the ultimate consumer, this is why both VAT and sales are referred to as consumption taxes, right? Even though it's paid, and I made this point, but just for emphasis, even though it's paid at different stations along the distribution chain, right? It's like, you know, Ricky's an accountant, it's like a credit and a debit. You know, one cancels out the other, eh, Ricky? You know, so, so I, I pay my VAT, but I get my VAT back. So I'm not really paying it. So who ends up paying it? Does VAT actually get paid four times to the government? No. It only gets paid to the government once. And that is at the end of the chain by the end consumer. And that's you and me. All right. And, and all of the other persons that have paid VAT will get that reimbursed to them. And I'll tell you, there's an important point here. Because some of the countries, if you've been following the regional press, hey, Ricky sent me something, I think. Hey, Ricky, what country was that? St. Lucia? Or did you send me the, 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 um, the, the uh, news release on that? I think it was St. Lucia. Some of the countries in the region, the business people have had great difficulty with getting their reimbursements in a timely manner, which has affected their cash flow. Now, anybody in this room that runs a small business, right, not people like Lindsay and Wade Sands in the group, right, but the small, the small guys, you know how important cash flow is, right? You can go out of business, right, if, if, if your cash flow dries up. And many of the small businesses throughout the region where they have VAT, they've introduced VAT, <coughs> they've really had a difficulty in getting their reimbursements in time. Now, one of the advantages that we will have, of course, is that you don't have to wait for the government, right, in the way in which VAT will work in the Bahamas. You reimburse yourself, right, which, which is an important point. Yes. I'll come to you, Mark, in a minute. Joan, we'll come to you afterwards. Okay. I can understand the need for VAT in terms of government making, government making its, its shortfall. I can also understand the, what is called the self-policing mechanism in the VAT scheme. But when I look at it, it almost makes me wonder if this is going to cause the black market on some items 
to thrive because if you have an option, company A is a VAT registered company who is really passing that on to you and company B doesn't. Don't, it almost leads me to think that persons are going to concoct ideas to go with the person who is not putting that in their sale to them. Would it not, would it well, not Well, you that? make a very interesting point. And all I can do is I'll, I'll just give you their response to it. Whether you find it convincing or not is another matter. But there is this concern about moving towards this black economy, right? Because non-registrants, if you look at it simply, all right, you would, you could come to, to the conclusion, and maybe it would be a wrong conclusion for reasons that I'll state in a moment, but you could come to the conclusion that a non-registrant is able to sell his goods at 15% under what the registrant is able to sell his goods. But that is not, that is an erroneous conclusion for a number of reasons. The major reason is this. The non-registrant is not recouping any of his VAT on his inputs. So it is costing him more to put his product in his shop. Now, undoubtedly, he'll be ahead of the 15%, right? But he isn't going to be able to take, for instance, if you've got a large business, you know, at the corner shop, and they're a registrant, and you've got a couple of mom-and-pop shops, you know, down the road, and they're all you know, they're selling the same goods, you say, well, I'm going to go to the mom-and-pop shop because they're not a registered, they're not paying VAT, I don't have to pay the 15%, all right? So, the, so Sorry, they didn't have to pay the 15%, so the goods should be cheaper. That is wrong because that non-registered, while he doesn't have to pay 15% to the government, all right, and as a consumer, if I'm in his shop, I can buy that good without paying 15%. It has cost him more to put that product on his shelf because he hasn't recouped his inputs. So it affects his long-term Precisely. So it isn't going to be a, a difference. Also, you, you also know basic economics, right? The, the larger business has many advantages, economies of scale, purchasing power, right? Built-in efficiencies. So I don't think there's going to be this massive move to the black market that some people think. Joan, you had a question? You come, I think I read in the paper when you come through the airport and you, um, you know, claim your $300 duty free that you're going to have to pay $45 on that, that you're going to have to pay the VAT at the border. I think I read that. That's my understanding. Yeah. So yeah. if there are, du okay, some, suppose I don't claim my exemption and I come in and I have to pay duty, I'm going to have to pay the duty plus 15% right. VAT. But well. it, should, it should be a reduced duty. Right, right. In most yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So whether the, whether the end figure is more or not really depends upon the goods. Correct, yeah. You know, yeah. But, but the theory, right, and it's only a theory because it won't be this perfect at all. The theory is you're paying 15% more and 17% less, you see? But that's a very imperfect model because of what Lindsay says, right? You take, for instance, goods which currently have less than 17% or less than 15%, right? Or goods which have a zero. I mean, I think at the moment, computers are duty-free, right, Perry? Well, a lot of those are duty-free, right? What you are going to have, and I don't, think there's any, I don't think there's any answer to this point. What you are going to have, to, to some extent, let me be fair, all right? I'm trying to keep my personal opinions out of this, right? To some extent, how great depends on your view. But you are going to have, to some extent, <clears throat> an adjustment in the cost of living, right? Which, if not 
directly corresponding to the 15% is certainly going to be somewhere around 8 to 9 to 10%, where basically you're going to be paying as a consumer more for the same goods after July 1 than you did before July 1. Now, that is going to be a one-time adjustment, but it is going to be significant. And some people feel, and some businesses feel, that that is going to result in what? A reduction of consumption. When prices go up, the economy is bad, what happens? You can't afford to buy as much. All right? And there is a real concern amongst small and medium-sized business people that the introduction of this tax will actually lead to a diminution right, in consumption buying, which is actually going to be worse for the economy, not better. All right? Because if you have a reduction in consumer spending, that's going to be another hit to the economy. Now, to what extent that happens is an, is an open issue, but it will happen to some extent. And I don't think, I don't think it can be denied that, that the initial introduction of VAT does cause right, an increase in the cost of living across the board. It isn't going to be as much as 15%. I agree with that 100%. That's too simplistic an approach. But it is going to be, in my view, somewhere around 8%, um, where you're going to be paying more. And, and you know, it, it, it all in economics, it comes down to what they call you know, elasticity. <clears throat> when you have supply and demand, right, simple ingredients of economics, supply and demand, open market theory, you know, the demand for goods is not infinite. I don't even know goods, not even breadbasket goods. It's not infinite in this sense. There are some goods which are less price sensitive than others. In other words, if they go up by three cents, you go buy them because you, you, you got to eat. You know, if you're in the food business, you got to eat. You know, you, you got to have water. But that, that elasticity in your demand, it all has, at some point, a limit. And this will test, you know, because the cost of living in the Bahamas is already very high, right, compared to other countries in the region. Very high, right? This will, in my view, result in a further increase in the cost of living of about 8% on average, in my view. And whether or not the pocketbooks and pocket and wallets of our consumers can absorb this without affecting the level of demand is a point that we will have to wait and see. But if it does affect it, all right, that's further bad news for the economy. Kevin. What then will be a proper balance to offset that? <clears throat> and then um, the next question will be um, July, you said July July 1, 10th? 2014. Oh, okay. Is that a good date to start this? Or is, is, is Well, <laughs> I'm not sure any date is a good date, but let's put it this way. It is a very ambitious timeline, given where we are today. Extremely ambitious. Um, secondly, how could you mitigate it, right? There are many people, and as I said, I'm trying to keep my personal opinions out of this, but I'll express one here, <laughs> because it happens to be my opinion, that if we were to go, go to a VAT, you know, we, we should have introduced it at 5 or 7%, right? Not at 15%, because the economy might not be able to take that hit. You know, the history of VATs in countries, by the way, is that they always increase. Ten years later, you're never where you started. So if you're starting at 15, right, then we're headed for 18, 19, 20%, you know, over the next 10, 15 years. 
right? I would have much preferred to have seen a longer timeline and a, 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 a smaller percentage, right? Where we could start and get our feet on the ground, you know, get all the, the, the bugs out of the system, let people know what they're doing at 5%. Okay, it would not have produced the same level of revenue. That's an issue. So one would have to have looked at that, and maybe you'd had to have deeper cuts and collect some of this money on the table, right, to make up the 200 million. But to introduce it at 15%, you know, by July 1, 2014, is a very ambitious timetable. Mark, then we'll come to you. I'm wondering when... How, what's the frequency of the collection of that? Like you have to pay it to the government monthly, annually? What's their plan for that? You have to pay it monthly. Or your set-offs occur monthly. Now I must say, the, and there was also, and, and again, government, ministry of finance people say this has been overstated. You know, and people in the business place seem to think it's a big issue, right? But let's identify it. Again, I don't know to what extent it's going to be, but businesses are going to have to invest in some form of software, right? It's going to be extremely difficult to be a registrant and to try and do all this manually. Now, the Ministry of Finance people say, this is off-the-shelf software, it's not very expensive, you know, these numbers that have been thrown around, you know, it's going to cost millions of dollars. The business community, they think is exaggerated. But I can tell you, every, every mom and pop shop is going to have to have some way of tracking its VAT. On the larger companies, all right, your accounting software at the moment is going to have to be, uh, it's going to have to accommodate VAT. And you're either going to have to do one of two things. Again, the Ministry of Finance people are saying a lot of these major software packages that are being used now have a VAT module because they are used in other countries where there is VAT. It's just that for us who are using it in the Bahamas, we don't ever turn that VAT module on. So it's not going to be a big expense. You're not going to have to throw it out and replace it. You know, these are all the kinks. I don't know who's right. And, you know, probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. Right? But there is going to be an administration cost. There's going to be an IT cost. There's going to be a collection cost, right, to this whole issue. Yes, right, right here, please. In a service economy like the Bahamas, which is um, tourist-centered, who uses more of your services? And um, who is the number one employer in the country? I mean, more, do we have more people working in the private sector or more people working in the government sector? Oh, yeah, by a long shot. There are many more workers in the private The largest single employer in the country is the government. The second largest employer is Atlantis. All right? But there are many more people in the private sector than in the, in the public sector. The public sector have, I mean, I have, I'm the chairman of the Public Service Commission, so I know this. The public sector has about 23,500 civil servants. Uh, you know, and I'm sure that number is a, a rounded number. But there are many more than, than 23,000 workers in the private sector. Um, but the single largest employer is the government. No question about that. What with regards to your services, who buys your services more? Is it bought more here by the local people, or is your services it, it, being you know, bought it, it more depends by on, outside? It depends on which services you're talking about. Well, if you're talking about lawyers, for instance, um, again, it depends on what kind of law you practice. In my firm, the, the vast majority of users of my services are not Bahamians. Right? They are, they are expatriates of foreign businesses, multinationals. If you talk about some of the smaller firms that, that basically service the local economy, then the vast majority of their users would be Bahamians. Right? So you really got to look at the profile of the business. 
well, if most of the people paying for your services is outside the country, then the cost of the service is not being borne by the local people, it's being borne by somebody else. So you're collecting revenue, but they're paying your VAT. Well, from Bahamian's point of view, that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not sure, because I haven't been told, and I haven't read it anywhere, I don't know um, whether in our system, services extended to persons outside the jurisdiction will be subject to VAT. I don't know that. I would think it must be because so many of our services are basically given to outside, you know, outsiders. If they, if they were to, uh, for instance, in, in England, I happen to know that many of their services, if they are given to clients overseas, they're not subject to a VAT. Yeah, online services will be subject to right? VAT. But I, I would think so because uh, so many of our services are really sourced by, by outsiders. Um, so, okay, so just a couple, Charlie. A couple things. I've asked, maybe you got an inside scoop on this. Businesses that are carrying millions of dollars worth of inventory come July 1st. Minister of Finance have told us to wind down our inventory to zero <laughs> in 2014 so that we don't have that hit. Because you're going to have a substantial hit with inventory that you have already paid duty on. Yep. Um, which is illogical. We've made That's exactly what they're going to do, Charlie. My, yeah. I do have inside information on that. Well, and my information is consistent with what you've been told. Well, they told me that there then. will be there will be a one-time windfall to the government because you won't be able to recover any of your inputs on that inventory. Right now, winding it down to zero, of course, is crazy. Right, you know, no business can do that. They talked about bonded warehouses, but we made a suggestion to them that they go around and audit people's inventory, sign it, you know, by CPAs or whoever, and give a credit over two years. Because it's going to be a substantial amount of money to big businesses, large amounts of money. Yeah. Because most of the businesses say you can't run at that level. You can't run from week to week. You got to run, you know, you got weeks of delivery. Secondly, businesses that carry high loads of accounts receivable. Do you pay? Do you pay when you get paid? If if you charge five hundred thousand dollars a month to me and don't pay me for six months, when do I pay my VAT? Well, my again, I don't want to be definitive, but my understanding is when you get paid. Right, but they, that's not the understanding they told us. Well, Cause, we'll have cause to some see. jurisdictions have pay when paid. Some you pay, and then it's your problem if you don't collect it. You know, I don't, I don't think, I mean, there's, there's, from what I've been told, and I can say no more than that, I, I don't think you pay the VAT until you collect it. I don't think you pay it on receivables. And I think getting back to your issue with the computers, that's a farce that they've told you that, how you poll average Bahamian company here that has a package that has any type of VAT attached to it, maybe offshore banks, very no, few no, businesses no. have I mean, that. this, this I, I think, Perry, you had something? Right, the applications, I think a lot of what Perry's talking about, a PC application, I'm talking about mainframe applications, big, you're talking about PCs, right? Mainframe applications, because I've polled them, mm-hmm. people that run big computer systems, we've been trying for months, because we we're, we're behind eight ball. And they yeah. have no clue to tell us what to do. Atlantis is exactly correct. Unless we want to take all of our business and run on PCs, which can't work. Right. There's no truth to that. So there's a lot of stuff that they have the head stuck in the sand with. Well, um, that may be true. And then there's a lot of stuff where I think it's just going to, you're going to have to get new software. And they're going to just say, we've got to ride that out. You know, there's, I mean, yeah, but, there's no, but, there's but no, the there's no better of, answer. The impact of that is what you're saying about everything increased. The impact of that is when my revenue falls, 
any business falls, whether it be large or small, yep. what's the first thing people do? They lay people off. Of course. So what happens is you compound the problem, your unemployment goes up rather than go down. I mean, that's why, that's why I think going in at 15% was very unwise. You know, I mean, I don't know what the, given the state of our economy now, and, and that's why I started with, with those introductory remarks, as I say, any real intelligent, helpful discussion of, of, of tax reform has to, to, to take place in the context of the realities. Given where our economy is now, I just don't know how much more we can absorb without major dislocations. I don't know, but I can tell you we can find out. <laughs> Perry? <laughs> I didn't hear the answer to Charlie's earlier question about the inventory in the warehouse. Are companies going to be charged a VAT on what they have in inventory? No. No. Yeah. Ah. That's it. Yeah. What, what I've been told, and of course, remember, this is all emerging, so if something happens and I didn't, I said something otherwise, don't think I don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know what the final position is yet. But the current, the current position on that, Perry and Charlie, is that come July 1, you are where you are. You're not getting any credits back for the extra duty. All right, now, you, and you will now be charging that. All right, but you won't have any inputs on that inventory to set it off against because you didn't pay any VAT on that inventory. Right, so the government know that it's going to be a hit to business, but they say it's a one-time hit. But you also, you also, Brian, as businesses, I'm insuring that in case I have a fire, I have a loss at that 15% value more than the, when the VAT comes in. So not only do I lose my 15%, I also have to carry that insurance at that level till that inventory disappears. That's an additional charge. Yeah. There's a lot of hidden costs there that I don't think anyone's And, and, and you know, and I don't think the, the, the migration from the current tax platform to, to VAT produces many of those problems. Many of those problems. You know, these transitional problems. And uh, I think there's an awful lot that needs to be addressed that has yet to be addressed. Yes. Isn't it ironic when you look at the government implementing VAT to, I guess, spur the economy to put more money in it, that when you look at the potential outcome of it is a shrinkage in the economy, which will bring more social burden, but has the potential to bring more social burdens on the Bahamian people. It's almost as if the fix that we're trying to put in place to make things better, almost has the potential to make it worse if it doesn't play itself out properly? I, I think you're absolutely, that is the concern that many people have. And I think the, the risk factor is significantly increased by going straight to 15%. You know, I, I mean, I think that was a serious mistake. Um, but, you know, there we are. But, but how this thing settles and where we will be you know, a year down the road, we don't really know. We can only look at experiences of other countries, and that's been a very, very mixed performance. Many of the countries have had big, big problems, you know, in the initial year or two. Um, and, 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 you know, for us, I, I can't think of many things that we have done which is bigger than this, you know, in, in the context of reform. Uh, this is a really big issue. 
Um, take for instance BEC. You know, some people said, well, you know how, how expensive electricity is now? And, and I can tell you, 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 you know it out there. There are many, many, many Bahamian people who cannot afford to have electricity. Right? I, I'm telling you that. That is a fact. You have got, you have got all kinds of cheating going on where five and six houses are sharing off of a single meter, right? Only because that's the only way they can, they can have lights. You have houses that, and, and I'm not telling you something that I've been told. I know this. You have houses, many houses, right? That, that have lights for four hours in a day. They can only afford, you know, when the kids come home and the people come, the parents come home, they turn on their lights from sort of six o'clock till nine. All the homework has to be done, all the baths taken, and then they don't have any lights after nine o'clock. They can't afford to pay it. Now, what's going to happen with BEC? This has been another issue. You know, is VAT going to be put on top of electricity bills? Yes. Right? Well, the initial answer was yes. The politicians are taking a lot of heat for that, right? And they're beginning to ask whether politically this is doable. Because if you, if you remember, remember who pays that? It's the end user, you and me. So in effect, if we got, if we got literally thousands of people today who can't afford electricity, right, by increasing the price by 15%, you know, it can't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think the debate on that centers around whether the government extends the VAT credit on the fuel suppliers uh, for which BEC makes their purchases on the fuel coming in. But, because the other thing that you got, and it is a little complicated, because if BEC isn't going to charge VAT, right, then it, it can't recoup VAT on inputs. And that's going to significantly disadvantage it, right, in terms of its operating costs. Um, so it, it is, you know, some of these issues are really complicated. They're not that easy. Um, and, and I don't think that decision has yet been made. That's a tough political decision because of the effect that, that electricity has on the average consumer. You know, and you got people who, as I say, who can't afford light bills now. Um, if you stick another 15% on top of light bills, politically, that could be very dangerous. Well, that may happen in the next two decades. But now, do you have, let's see now, do you, do you, I mean, do you have a slightly better understanding of how VAT works? Because I want to at least hope that you've got a little better understanding when you came in here. Um, and if you don't, then ask some questions and let's make sure you at least understand the concept of VAT. All right, how it's going to apply to each given situation. As I said, there's going to have to be a workout and a lot of information has got to come up between now and July of next year. What, what we are waiting for, particularly, you know, is the draft legislation. Now, that will be very complicated, but once we pull that apart, right, and we understand it, and that information is disseminated in the market, right, then some of these gray areas may become a little clearer to us, um, and that's going to be a critical time, you know, for public consultation in, in terms of, of what the final product is going to look like. But there are literally hundreds of pages of regulations um, that, will, that will, 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 will come out. The act itself isn't going to be quite as long, but the regs will be very long. I, mean, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but Bahamian businesses, for the most part, are deceptive. And if they can doctor, um, 
do customs duties coming from the states, you know what I'm saying? They, they find ways around it. How are we expecting them to properly keep books for the government to follow this VAT in, in a business? Well, that is a very real concern. As I said, there is to some extent a self-policing mechanism, but only to an extent. You know, we, we, we're going to have our own IRS. Right? It's, I think it's called the Central Revenue Agency, yeah, right? But, but, the, the CRA. Somebody? Sorry? No, I say all... Oh, oh. That's just bigger government. Although, to, to be fair to them, most, most of the... It, it is bigger government, but most of the customs offices are being retrained. Right, to actually be transferred to this central revenue agency. But Brian, I've come into the customs place and something as simple as figuring out 45% on my thing, they'd be like, man, just go through, just go through. They couldn't even f figure that out. You know, our average is D minus or something in math. How are we going to find people that are competent, you know, and honest? That's the thing. The enforcement thing is... It almost a, is seems a, like you're shooting yourself in the foot. It is. It is. It, I mean, I must say this. VAT is probably better in that sense than the sales tax, all right, because the, the emphasis is not entirely on the government. But, but even with a VAT, you, you have to check and you have to audit and you have to enforce. Um, and I take your point. As I said, we have no culture of, of a tax system in the Bahamas up to this point. And, you know, whether we're going to be able to adjust um, and, and enforce this system or not, only time will tell. Um, I mean, what, what you're going to end up with, of course, is I guess what you normally end up with with these taxes. You, you, you really have the top 20% of your businesses paying them and 80% cheating. I mean, that's the statistic that they give you usually. National insurance, you know, real property tax, uh, all business license. Well, business license is difficult to cheat with now. Because the government won't clear your goods or do anything unless you have your business license Yeah, they paid. clear it. You just clear it in your own private name. You don't clear it through the business anymore. People well, <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are these loopholes. The question, um, other questions, other hidden tax. I understand there's a 3% tax being levied on money you have in the bank as of July 1 as well. No, I don't know about that. Yeah, you check uh, it. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> check it out. Uh -uh. Is a 3%, that, that's what's proposed as part no. of that tax legislation, is a 3% no, 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 that, levy Charlie, on, I could not on be right. saved money, it is. I could not be right. I know there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's the same thing, I know there is a withholding tax that is paid, that is now charged on repatriation of profits by, by banks to head office, right? But I don't think you'll ever see the government impose a tax on savings, I mean, I don't think anybody can be that crazy. They can be crazy, but not that crazy. I think that's a, that's a rumor. But Brian, how, how is this going to affect tourism? There's been tourists come here. You know, we always talk about this um, duty-free. And now that if, if you have a store downtown and tourists come inside your store and you say, VAT, and they ask you, what? <laughs> they go on. So well, you know, you know, it, it's going to affect tourists, I guess, in the sense that the product will, will be more expensive. But you've got to remember, many, many of our tourists come from countries with VAT. They understand VAT. Yeah, but more than we do. But, but it won't be completely duty-free in that sense. Because, you will, yeah, it might be duty-free, but you're going to still have to pay VAT. So the product will be more expensive than it is today. You know, but it's, no, it's not, 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 no different to me going to London 
you know, and, and I go and, and buy something in London, I have to pay VAT. You know, I, I just pay it. Oh yeah, many countries work like that. Yes. Now that 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 is a far more sophisticated version of VAT than we will initially have, right? You 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 sort of grow you kind of grow into those permutations, and this is a point that the Ministry of Finance made actually, which I I perhaps should state in in good faith. I mean their their position is, it it's a it's 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 deceptive to look at VAT as it exists today in many of these developed countries, right? Because it is a very sophisticated version of VAT with all the bells and whistles that have been attached over a period of 30, 40 years. Their, their position is, we will be introducing in their terms what, you know, a simple vanilla VAT tax. Now, simple is still complicated relative to what we have now, right? But their point is, it, it isn't going to operate as it is currently operating in, in many other countries which have had VAT for a long time. They're trying to roll out initially a vanilla version. There's not going to be any, any strawberry, you know, or coconut swirls. Um, they, they want to go with a pure vanilla version of VAT, simple to begin with. And, and, I, and I'm sure they're right. But as I say, simple is relative. It, it's still far more complicated than we have today. But it isn't going to rival the, the VAT infrastructure and the VAT system that there, that there exists in many of the European countries, for instance, which have a very sophisticated developed system of VAT. Sorry. Yeah, but another question. Um, dealing with manufacturing, I'm not talking about going into the, into the forest and cutting no trees, but if you're farming, for instance, you have honey, right? I harvest my honey and I'm selling it to, to, uh, to you. Do I have to pay VAT on that? Oh yeah. You have to pay every, every time there is a transaction on that distribution chain, you have to pay VAT. How much do I have to pay at that beginning? 15%. When you say at that beginning, what do you mean at that beginning? Okay. I am, um, okay, I'm selling, selling my honey, right? And I have my So, so you're, the, you're, the, you're the manufacturer. Right, I am the manufacturer. Right. Well, you don't pay any VAT on that. What you pay VAT on is everything it takes you to make that honey. Raw your raw materials, your, your rent, your office, your electricity, your staff, you know, everything that, I mean, you are at the beginning of the distribution chain. So you're not, you're not charged a VAT in that sense on the product, but you are paying VAT on all your consumable goods and all your services, right? So, so if you're making honey and you're at the beginning of that distribution chain, right, by the time you have that honey in a bottle, Right? I'm, I'm assuming that's the product that yeah. the manufacturer passes on. Okay, do I pay, me the manufacturer, do I pay honey on that, uh, honey? Do I pay VAT on that bottle of honey? No. Because it hasn't gone anywhere yet. But I have paid VAT on every input that has gone into producing that bottle of honey. Alright? Okay. Now, when I now take it on the distribution chain, right, and give it to the next station, whether that's a wholesaler, or a retailer, whatever it is, a distributor, when I pass that product or my services to that next station on that, on that chain, that person, right, remember what VAT is. VAT is value added. Value added. Right, that's what it means. That person now, right, has to pay VAT on that product. So that was our example. 
you know, if it, if it costs you $10 to produce that bottle of honey, and you want to make a, a, a 30% markup, all right, so you're going to sell that for $13, okay? The guy that you sell it to is paying 15% on the $13. In other words, the original costs plus the added value. That's what value-added tax means. So every time you add a, a, a cost factor, and you do that every point in the chain, because there's nobody in this chain that works for nothing. Everybody that touches the product from its manufacturer to its end consumer gets a margin. That's free enterprise, right? Everybody from the manufacturer to the distributor to the, to the retailer, right, takes, takes a profit margin. And what you are doing is every time you have to pay your tax, you're paying it on a larger figure. Why? Because you're paying it on the costs I bought it for plus the added value that I put on that to sell it to the next station. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that VAT is literally paid, as I say, you can, I mean, look at it as a train going from station to station. Every time I stop at a station, I gotta buy a ticket, that's VAT. All right, so when you sell it to me, I have to pay VAT, all right? Now, when I pay VAT, you can deduct all the VAT that you paid on your inputs that it cost you to produce that bottle of honey. You see what I'm saying? But I have to, I have to um, justify the cost. To uh, that's, you you got to have your, 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 this is what we were talking about, how you're going to prove that. You've got to have your accounts, and you're subject to an audit, and this central revenue agency is going to be responsible for enforcing it. But yes, you, you'll have to produce receipts to show your VAT that you paid on your inputs. And I must say, it isn't, it isn't that difficult once you kind of wrap your head around it. Right? I mean, and, and literally, it's not, it's not a bad metaphor. You can almost think about it as a, as a train journey. You know? I get in the train, you know, and that's your, 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 your sort of station where I pick up the train. That's your manufacturer. Now, all you gotta realize is, every time, whatever the product is, whether it's honey, or whether it's a car, or whether it's clothes, or whether it's water, or whether it's beer, or whatever it is, right? That, that product, goes from its, its original manufacturing to the end consumer. Every time, right? That's, that's the journey. Some of it takes place outside the Bahamas, right? In our case, because we import a lot of stuff. So the, 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 the train really starts when it arrives at the border, and you have to clear it, all right? That's your first station. Now, every time somebody touches that product, right? That's a, that's a station. Right? The price goes up because everybody's getting a margin, getting a margin. Getting, and every time that happens, that is paid. But every time I charge VAT, I recoup the VAT that I paid to the guy before me. You see what I'm saying? All right? And it's only when that product hits the end consumer that, that that's the... So who really pays VAT? It isn't any of these people along the way. They, they pay it in the sense that they fund it. You with me? You with me? But, but they all get it back, right? And as I said, that's why it's called a consumption tax. The people who really pay it are the consumers. Retailers, manufacturers don't pay that in the sense that they don't get it back. The, the person that doesn't get it back is when you go into the shop, right, and you buy it to take home. You're the only person that doesn't get a, re a reimbursement, right? And that's, that's 
the way it works. That's the concept of that, all right? And, and even though there's a self-policing mechanism, enforcement is a big issue. So, you know, what I see here is really the Bahamian people have to pay more taxes. I mean, the poor man paying more taxes. No question about that. That's, that's what it all boils down to. That's, that's, now, that's absolutely right. Now, the, now what we need to Remember do... Remember where we started? We need more revenue. Yeah. But what I think we need to do as a, as a people is start to look at more manufacturing to export. Yeah. That, I mean, that has lots of challenges, but, but that's certainly something which we should be looking at. Yeah, because you have to get the money from out there coming in or what's here to stay here. I mean, as I said, that's, that's this big macro concept, you know, of how the world's supposed to operate, you know, in, the, in, this, in this era of free trade. Right? We, we are supposed to be exporting what we do best. You know, and, 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 and you know, you ever heard the, the saying, stick to your knitting? You ever heard that saying in business? You know, that, that's really what the free trade philosophy is. See, they say that, that you do a lot of things not well, which you're not efficient at. Right? And Jamaica could do that better than, than, than Trinidad. And Barbados can do that better than St. Kitts. And the Bahamas can do that better than the Cayman Islands. So let's all do what we do best. Then you've got the world functioning at maximum efficiency and productivity. But this is very theoretical. Very theoretical. So, Brian, you're, you're addressing us as, um, you know, a lot of us are businessmen. My wife's a businesswoman. But we're all consumers. So um, this is 15%. It's 15% for school fees and, and for insurance and for everything we consume. So you go to a lawyer, you go to an accountant, you go to a doctor, you go to a dentist, you pay your school fees, you go to the food store. So that's unrecoupable, obviously, because we're the Unrecoupable at, at your level, the consumer level. Mm, and, right. and of course it's unrecoupable, because if it's going to produce more money, right. somebody's got to pay it. Sure. It just so happens that the consumer, which is, as I keep emphasizing, you know, the two most, most significant and popular, in the sense of governments... Tax, consumer taxes or sales tax and that. Just from a practical perspective, though, you would charge $10 for your product plus tax. So it's like a sales tax to the consumer almost, $15, $10 plus 15% it, the, tax. The really. major difference, and, and, and they, they are similar, the major difference, as I said, is a, a sales tax is paid once at the end of the chain. Well, but for the consumer, though, it's really just... A ta- sales tax or VAT, but it's... Although I can tell you, the, the consumer ends up paying more to VAT at the end of the chain because the price is, as I say, the tax is applied in each time to the added value. In a sales tax, it's not done that way. But, but you're right. Mm. It's the consumer that's the hit. And well, actually, they end sense. up paying a lot more on a consumer tax than, sorry, on a VAT than they would on a sales tax. I mean, taxes, you know, VATs, if you I come to you right now, generally speaking, again, if you're, if you're being balanced about this, there are many countries, I mean, I, I, I have no, I have a lot of concerns about, one, what we are doing, two, how we are doing it, um, you know, but, but, but as I said, the unmistakable fact is that we have to do something, all right? If, if you're going to sit back and just moan about, you know, why are we changing customs, why don't we stay where we are? I got to tell you with the greatest respect, you're a little out of it, right? That is not an option. So as I said, you know, it's a question of seeing what is best. Now governments, governments generally around the world 
right, prefer VATs than sales taxes. They're easier to administer, easier to collect, produce more revenue, less cheating, and the market is more receptive of VATs than they are of high sales tax. You, you go to any country, all right, and I think New York is not a country but a city where they have some of the highest sales taxes. And I'm telling you, you can't really charge sales taxes of 18 and 20% without a major, major rebellion within the consumer market. But you can charge VATs at that level without no major problem. You know, so, so from, the, from a government's point of view, uh, the, the, the option to a VAT, in my view, was almost inevitable. You know, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with a VAT. I mean, you got countries all over the world that have VAT. What I think our problem is, you know, is how we are doing it, how it's being rolled out. You know, and, and Ricky and I was having this discussion, and I, I could see Ricky this point. You know, it, it needs to be done in the context of, of shrinking government anyway. You know, this, this, this is a, you need a holistic approach to our deficit problem. You need, to, you need to do several things, not one thing. No single solution is a panacea. And a holistic approach really involves collecting some of the money on the table, shrinking the size of government, reducing the cost of government, Right? and reforming our tax system. We need all of that. Right? But unfortunately, you know, collecting money for governments seems to be a, a, an easier option than cutting expenses. Because you know, while, while government give it lip service, it's very difficult for us to get out of our current economic crisis simply on the back of, of expecting the government to cut expenses you know, to pay off these deficits. Um, so, I, did I see a hand? Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, we want to take two more questions, guys, because it is getting a little late, so it's been very good. Uh, so we'll take one more after this. Okay, um, first, let me say thanks for coming and sharing with us. I mean, I didn't even realize that we spent two hours almost here with you. You've been quite great as a presenter. The, the other thing is, um, based on what you're saying, the government is going to achieve its objective. If the government wants to increase revenue and this thing does increase revenue, then the objective has been achieved. It's increasing the revenue. And you're saying that there's no other option because we can't hold on to the old system. But am I right in saying also that you're saying that there's an opportunity that can come from this? If, if as when the China Israel when Joseph was in Egypt and he said, there are seven days of famine coming and you have to prepare for it because it's inevitable. Then if our situation is also inevitable that it, the vac is coming, then is it fair to also say that we can start preparing people with training in software, apps trainings, because all companies are with a smaller, larger, are going to need IT people. So isn't that a positive that we can know? Maybe um, armory, armory companies can start running some programs to start training people mm. in the use of that software because you can get a job in that area to run somebody's operation where it concerns the IT aspect of their operation. 
Well, I, I, th I think you make a good point. There's got to be a point in this process where, where the country switches from what is supposed to be a period of public consultation, right, to a period of training and preparation. Absolutely. Now, I'm not sure we're at that point yet because we still don't know enough about the, the VAT. And I still think there, there is a possibility that if the Bahamian people became sufficiently engaged in this process, you know what we call civil society, if we could so motivate our people to inform themselves about this issue and to become engaged in this process of public consultation, that we could still probably drive our politicians to looking at a few aspects of how this will end up. I still think there's a possibility. The key is, you know, and, and I'm afraid this is the problem with, with so many issues in our country. Uh, it is difficult to mobilize in sufficient numbers on a sustained basis the attention of the Bahamian people to actually protest an issue to the extent that we begin to affect our politicians. Right now, you cannot think of an issue, I cannot think of an issue, which would have a more which will have a more fundamental effect on all of us than tax reform. Right? This is a major issue. Yet certainly there's a lot of, of discussions in the hallways, a lot of rumblings, and you listen to the to the radio stations. But I have yet to really see any kind of coherent, sustained engagement of the Bahamian people in large numbers, right? Where, for instance, like my own view, right? I, I don't, you know, if, you, if, if I accept the reality that we are going to need a, a solution, I call it an holistic solution, which is going to be multifaceted, which is going to have to involve tax reform. In my view, no sense debating that. We have to do that. Now, we can debate what kind of tax reform. You know what I'm saying? But, and, and, and even when you get to the point where you say, it seems as if a VAT is where we're going, there's still a lot of issues, right? We should not be introducing this at 15%. And if there was a sufficiently large outrage or, or, or support in the community, right, for this issue, Right? and perhaps for delaying this July 1 date. These two issues would have a major difference on the final result. But, but whether or not we achieve this will really depend upon the level of engagement that the Bahamian people choose to have in this process. And it has to be sustained. You can't have one rally you know, on Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning and everybody go home. You need to have a sustained level of public engagement Right on an issue like this, right in in order to 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 show the politicians that there is a limit to what this country can can absorb. Right now, I think we're pushing the envelope very close. Frankly, I don't know where the breaking point is. Right, but in my view, this could have been dealt with a little differently, with the same basic result. In other words, a VAT. Right, whether it's a VAT or whether it's a sales tax. You know, in, in my view, there are pros and cons for both. You know, could we solve our problem 
by no tax reform, right, and simply cutting expenses, I don't think that's a realistic option as, as much as we need to cut expenses. So, you know, this sort of evening, I, I hope that if I've done nothing else, I've at least stimulated your interest in the subject and bring it to your attention how important it is. I can tell you, it, it, it presses on a lot of sensitive areas in terms of our economy, in terms of the level of our spending. We already talked about the unemployment. We talked about the size of our deficits. We talked about the insatiable appetite for the government, right, for more spending and more spending. One of the concerns that some people have is if we raise more money, the government is just going to spend it. They won't pay down the deficits. They'll just spend it. And that's a very realistic concern. You know, what's the sense of raising another 200 million, you know, if we could spend another 120 million? <clears throat> what, what is required is very severe fiscal discipline at a time which is difficult. And without trying to suggest that we should panic and we're all, you know, on the slippery slope, these are, these are serious times. So I, I would strongly encourage you um, to, to do some research. You know, you've got the internet, which is a wonderful thing these days. Right? Even if the, if the information is not coming out locally, you can go on the internet, you can research it, you can look at it. Right? When the material starts to come out, you should make it a point to get a hold of it. <coughs> Excuse me. I hope that churches will have meetings like this. You know, I think this is an important function of the church, right? To educate its members on these important issues. And I, and I hope that, that we'll get a sense of the importance and the urgency of it and that you have a slightly better understanding of how it works. As I say, don't buy into the argument that there's something intrinsically bad about VAT. There's nothing intrinsically bad about it. 60, 70 countries around the world have it, and it's working well. Right? That's not the point. The point is, how is it going to be introduced, and how is it going to be tailored? You know, and, and all the issues that we've discussed today in terms of enforcement and collection... These are the issues that as Bahamians we have to be concerned about because if it doesn't work, as, as you were saying, right, we may find you know, that the solution was worse than the problem. Um, and it seems to me that, that, that we have to be very careful and very disciplined at this tough time, not only here in the Bahamas but in the world you know, because the economy at the moment is so, so fragile and as a small country... We don't have some of the resilience that the larger industrialized countries have. I mean, how much debt is too much for the Bahamas? Five and a half billion dollars? You know, can anybody tell me how we're going to pay that off? Right? I don't have a clue. Right? And how much is too much? You know, how much unemployment is going to, going to tip us over the side? You know, 14.7% now. All right? As I told you, the projection for, for growth in the, in the Bahamas of GDP is anemic, right? 1.9%. We need to be growing at 5 and 6%. We haven't grown our GDP in 5% in, 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 in a long time. I can't remember when we grew our GDP at 5%. You know, so um, obviously a difficult time, a time for the church to pray. Uh, hopefully we've answered some of your questions and thank you for being a very attentive audience. Thank you very much.